fine. I am continually trying to remind myself of how blessed we are to, you know, instrument our business. We could just, yes, you know, we closed out on a Friday and Monday, everybody was working from home. So um, that's a blessing. And, uh, you know, so it definitely hasn't been easy, but the ability that we're keeping our jobs, you know, we're not going to do any layoffs. We're hunkering down. Um, you know, while some businesses fell off, other businesses picked up. Um, and so we've been just really fortunate. And, um, and then personally, you know, I have three kids. So it's, um, oh, oh, you're yes, oh, nine, uh, two boys and a girl. Nine, How old are they? Nine, six, and three. Oh, God. Yeah. So, you know, you can't leave them alone for too long or they'll either be hurt or your house destroyed. Um, and so it's my mom is here. My husband still goes back and forth and he came for the first couple of weeks when everything was kind of shut down, but he's back in Georgia now. And so it's me and my mom holding it oh, down in Georgia. Yeah. So a lot of my mom is uh, helping out during the day when I have calls and helping to keep them on track with their school work and then some afternoons I'll kind of take a break from work and just go spend time with them. We started we planted a garden last weekend so they're all excited about planting gardens and watching plants grow and watering I'm just like whatever we can do to keep them busy and occupied. We take walks every we try to take walks every day or every other day in the afternoon um and just kind of get out and move around. So we've been fine. I, I only go out to do grocery store runs because they eat everything. So um, <laughs> just like food disappears. Uh, it's really funny how much they eat. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been fine. Uh, we've been fortunately nobody, well, I can't say nobody, my sister and my sister-in-law, they both live in New York, both got the virus. Um, but they both recovered. My sister had a mild case. Um, and so it was just a couple of days of not feeling well. My sister-in-law is an EMT. So that was a week to two week recovery for her. And then also she lives with my mother-in-law who is, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, disabled and immunocompromised. So they were all, we were all just worried about then my mother-in-law getting it, but she's been okay. So, um, so, uh, you know, outside of that, family for the most part we haven't had any um you know any deaths in the family thankfully um our family spread out between uh, you know the south uh tennessee you know, georgia's being hit hard too so you guys have been able to avoid that so far yeah um you know we have a lot of cousins and aunts uh um and i think all of the you know younger generation all of their jobs were fortunately i think they are able to work from home they all have kids so when they shut down the schools they would they had to figure oh, wow. out support that way hold on just um, just i and this is no, john i want to get him on are you i sent you a link hello it, it's an email to the zoom you um jessica and and JD on it. Do you know where it, what? Yeah. Hold on a minute. Let me make sure. Just a minute, Jess. Sent. 
join me in the Zoom. Yeah, you're on it at 12.53. Uh, I don't see you popping up yet. Did you click on the link? Oh, yeah, I hear you popping up. Hold on. There you go. All right, JW. Oh my God. So Jessica, do you know where um, JD is? I am texting him now. Okay. Um, well, I'm here. But uh, John, Jessica was just telling me how, because John has family in New Jersey and stuff, and his sister had gotten it. And Jessica was just talking about how she had a sister and a sister. Sister and sister in law. Yeah. Both got it. In Georgia? In Georgia? No, in New York. So my a lot of my um so uh, my husband's family is all in New York, and then my sister lives in New York. She works in New York, and my husband's uh, sister and mom still live in New York. Actually, their whole his whole a big chunk of his family still lives in New York. Um, but yeah, we've had some members, family members, get it. But um, I was telling Fawn that um, for the most part, you know, everybody's been hasn't had to be hospitalized and you know suffering at home and are on the other side of it. So that's been um, a blessing, you know, interestingly enough, my husband's, uh, oldest brother, we did a zoom, a family zoom call on Sunday and, you know, it was supposed to be for the kids, but after 20 minutes, the kids are like, this is boring. And they go off and play. Um, and so the adults just sat around and talked and, um, my brother-in-law and also my husband's cousin and his wife joined, they both talked about getting sick at the end of January they do a lot of traveling and you know whatever and they talked about both having uh gotten like really sick for about two weeks a lot of the symptoms of covid but people weren't being diagnosed like nobody was talking about it then and they were like we think we had the virus even at the end of january which was just crazy right because they're yeah. like at the end of january who's catching the flu and and they were talking about all the symptoms and it was it's just amazing like we've been saying like how many people have had it had it before yeah, everything shut down in March or how many people died already that we didn't even know were dying oh, because of this, you know? Right. Right. Okay. So yeah, I was, go ahead, John. No, I just, I just don't trust it. I don't, you know, I, I just don't trust the people driving the damn boat. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily believe that being forthright with us, Jessica, I really don't. I think that there's just too many mitigating things that demonstrate that there's, there's a loss of, of control somewhere in this deal. And somehow or another, it got out of, got out of hand. It got away from us. What's going yeah. on, big fella? What's happening, Jeff Buzz Hawk? <laughs> so all y'all quarantined. Uh, we all in different places. Yeah, what's going on, big guy? So, uh, so I don't know. You're doing great, Hodge. You know, how about yourself, buddy? You, you know, know doing, okay? doing all right. Doing all right. Good, good, good. You know, we were just talking about some of this stuff. Uh, like she was saying, her, some of her family members are caught it. My sister, she's in quarantine right now with it in New, back in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just stuff. But I... You know, the things that really bother me most about this is the people that are being hurt on the periphery of this thing. Like, 
my daughter called me up yesterday, and I, you know, I've been out of sorts ever since I heard her say this to me, is that uh, her graduation got canceled, a high school graduation. Now, yeah. I don't know about you all that have kids, if you ever had kids, but to hear that coming from my daughter, man, God, this ate me up inside, man, for her. Because yeah, every one of real. us had an opportunity to, to do this dance, and here she has to come into 2020 of her life and can't seem to walk and have the value of the paper and the experience and all of that. Yeah. Not right. Love it. Not right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, everyone is, uh, every day I'm hearing, you know, someone else touched in a different way by it. And, uh, you know, it's things that you don't even think about, but everyone is, everyone is affected by it in some way or another. And obviously. Yeah, yeah, uh -oh. so. Breaking up, JD. You froze, okay. you froze in. Sometimes you have to see if other people are moving to make sure it's not your video breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is what y'all do for a living, though. <laughs> okay, but we can't control how people's home setups are, John. I'm telling you, it's really interesting <laughs> to see, right? Like, I mean, even the, I'll do calls with people that work at like Dell or Microsoft or Oracle or whatever, and their stuff is janky too because it's just like where you live. Well, right. It's like the cell towers are so like in demand right now. Two days ago, my phone couldn't get nothing. Yeah. I was like, everybody, because for the longest time I had like cricket and everybody was always like making fun of me. So then I upgraded to the iPhone and Apple and Sprint and. If the network is over well and see i'm at home i'm at home with three kids and my mom everybody on netflix and tablets and playing games and then i'm trying i'm up here trying to you know make sure we can keep the lights on and still pay for the electricity that y'all so it's real and, and you know, it's funny because you say that because comcast came in and robbed me I don't know if you got comcast but they something else but <laughs> uh we have um is that xfinity yeah. No. Yeah. It is Xfinity. Yeah. I always forget. Yeah. We have Xfinity. Yeah. And the only reason we kept it is because we have it in Georgia. And so they gave us a discount to like add a new service or something like that. But it, it sucks. I yeah, mean, I got, I got every one of these services, right? And they called me up the other day, you know, told me that I was one day, it was the next day, the next billing came out. Right. And I thought that I talked to them before that and I said, Hey, well, y'all need me to pay you. Well, no, you're building it. But when it gets there, but we're not interrupting people's services or anything like that. You can just pay us. You know, you got about a window. So I go, So the next day, my bill came, the second bill came due. Right? And it was $600. Too. Them people came and shut the damn TV off. Right. The, so I called them. I didn't know what was going on. I wake up my boy, the TV off. Right. Yeah. So I freaked That's with everything. So I. Called on. I said, I thought y'all said y'all ain't interrupting nothing. If you need me to pay you, I would have paid you a long time ago, right? They had the nerve to tell me, oh, but we didn't interrupt your services. You have all of your cable, not your cable, you just don't have your cable, but you got all your other services. You got your security, your home security, you got your cell phones, you got all of that stuff. You, you didn't interrupt nothing, but we just interrupted your TV. And I said, man, what do you think I'm going to be doing all day? Just playing on this internet? <laughs> <laughs> and then they went back, check my 
turn my TV back on. Usually, if you get a bill that high, you can go, can I pay the two payments or something? They say, yeah, you can do that. So I said, well, can I pay them a couple payments? They said, no, we don't do that no more. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, would you buy this on the street? <laughs> so I said, you need to tell me I got to give you $600 for my cable TV. Just, can I just pay you for the TV? Listen, John, it's plenty of TV that you can watch for free online, my brother. If you need some links, you let me know. I know, but it's, listen, it's better than paying a $600 bill right now and you just basically say, screw y'all, y'all wait. I'm telling you. Exactly, but I told him the minute this virus is over, y'all get this money, I'm going to give you this money, but I know who my friends is and who they ain't in the times <laughs> So I said, and I got every service y'all provide. But let me tell you something. Direct going to get my business mm. <laughs> directly after this virus. I know, that's right. So but anyway, what we on this telephone call doing here? I've been saying well, I was kind of waiting for JD to come back on, but let's just right. uh, move forward. Let me see what happened. He said, internet outage, be back in a moment. Okay. 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 Well, you can speak to that, and I can come back to JD on this. Uh, to Jessica, but why don't you just like, uh, just share with us kind of your role at Instrument and um, you know, how you came to Instrument and, and to Portland and your role. Oh, this is perfect. Cause I'm all, I'm not usually, you know, GQ every day. I was day. gonna say, I'm like, well, <laughs> you do good for, for working from home. I, uh, I, um, I did a webinar this morning, um, a panel of women um, for AnitaB.org, which is a, a woman's technology, women and young girls trying to get them in STEM and technology um, careers. So I did a panel actually about an hour ago. Um, so you know, I had to get all GQ for that. And I was like, well, I might as well leave, you know, leave it on for flossing. <laughs> Show well, up for you guys. All right. So uh, let me turn these uh, uh, notifications off because they are distracting. So I um, am Jessica Hartley. I'm the VP of strategy here at Instrument. And I work with the team of strategists of so just about 30 strategists um, and lead them in supporting uh, strategic engagements with our clients. Um, and uh, I've been here, wow, I guess it's been almost eight months now. Time flies. Uh, originally uh, from Georgia and relocated from Georgia uh, to come to Portland, which is where we're headquartered. And um, uh, prior to this was in consulting and doing technology and digital consulting at a very large firm and got recruited to come to Instrument by some amazing recruiters. And I uh, had never heard of Instrument before, but when I checked out the website and had conversations with Justin and JD and a lot of folks, uh, was super impressed. Just I was just like blown away and uh, really, I think it was really the human element, right? Like how, how they take care of their people, care about their people. And I'm seeing that literally manifest. Like you know how well a company cares about their people in big crises that you did not even plan for. Um, and so it has been tremendous to see how, you know, as soon as stuff shut down with the government, 
We told everybody to work from home. Uh, we set up technology. We said, what else can we get from healthcare to give people online, you know, services and everything. And so just seeing how we're taking care of our people um, is amazing. And we do a lot of that same care for our clients, which is why a lot of our clients are still with us. And uh, we've still got projects going on, which is great. It's just truly amazing. Uh, we're not talking about layoffs at all. We're just taking care of our people and work is still coming in. So we're very fortunate for that. So um, happy to be here. So the tech industry in general is... Um, I mean, they're the hot subject right now, right? And you guys consider yourself a tech industry, right? So what kind of work does Instrument do over there? Absolutely. I like to consider ourselves, I call us tech adjacent, if that makes sense. So, you know, while we're not um, necessarily building software or building hardware, we are leveraging hardware and software in a lot of our work for clients. Hey, JD, welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, sorry about that. It's okay. I was also going to comment. You got uh, you got a new location before you were, was that in your like uh, kitchen or kitchen? You have all the windows behind you. I've seen most of I that. turned my desk. I turned uh, my desk because the windows are all here and it was like blowing me out. <laughs> so I had to switch it around. Uh, had, so, go ahead. I had total luck with uh, like technology, internet, everything's been working great so far until just now. So I don't know what's happening, but I'm all, I feel like we're good now. That was now, days hopefully. ago. Yeah. Well, so you look anyway. clear. You look clear. So that's always a good sign. That's good. Not looking look fuzzy. JD, they looking out for you, boy. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so I was, uh, I was just, and, and you can totally jump in here too, JD. We just got, like, I introduced, did you want him, do you want me to pause and let him introduce himself? Well, there was an order of questions a little bit, but then, yeah. and then we can come back to that. Um, so yeah, why don't you, JD, introduce yourself real quick and who you are and your role at Instrument. Mm -hmm. Uh, yep, so I'm JD Hoagie. Uh, I'm the Chief Creative Officer at Instrument and one of the co-founders. Um, I'm originally a designer and came up through design. I was the first designer at Instrument and the first creative director at Instrument. Um, and here we are almost 10 years later and, uh, you know, we have uh, something like 80 designers uh, and I'm, I'm really helping to oversee uh, the business and uh, the, there's this sort of creative quality of the client work that we do um, and I wear a lot of other hats as well. Nice. nice. So um, and then uh, Jessica don't, I want to come back to this but yeah. um, for the order yeah. I want to kind of come into this one um, since this is a conversation about how a tech firm, um, you know, focused on big worldly things, uh, comes into a community and, um, you know, looks at, you know, getting more involved in that. When you first, I want to look at this question because um, when you first moved into that neighborhood over there in the Seoul District neighborhood, uh, what do you think the neighborhood's perception of you guys coming in was? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, I guess, first of all, we actually moved into the Seoul District neighborhood 
um, probably in 2005. We've been in four different locations, all in the same, uh, in the Seoul District. The North, Northeast. So yeah, um, you know, primarily on, on MLK, um, and then on Alberta, and then eventually on uh, Williams. So we've been in the area for a really long time. Um, but the building we're in now, in 2015, uh, fall of 2015 is when we moved in. Um, about two years before that, we started working on uh, the building and it was uh, an empty lot at that point. Uh, believe it or not, it's kind of wild to even think about that now. Um, New Seasons was under construction, um, just going in, and you know a lot of the other development on, that, on Williams that's there now is, was not even happening yet at all. Um, so when, on that lot called 1222 Because I wanted to, because you mentioned what did several, think about uh, it? yeah, because you know gentrification was kind of running rampant at that time. The Black Lives Matter movement had a hugely loud megaphone. Um, there were a lot of issues like that, so yep. that's why I was like, you know, what what did you, you know, you couldn't be absent of that. So what did you think the community's perception to your arrival, even though you'd been in the community as you just pointed out? How did yeah. you perceive that was going to be? Um, I mean, I would say we thought it would be received um, in a lot more harsh light than it was, to be honest. I think I went into it pretty, um, with a lot of skepticism in terms of, you know, uh, how it looks and, and how um, we might be perceived or received in a neighborhood. Um, 
did a lot of research at the time to like really understand what we were walking into. Um, and, you know, for us, it was part of a, a bigger, um, like a development, obviously we were one part of it. And so there was a small community of people that were working to try to find out, figure out how we can integrate uh, into the community and into the neighborhood in a way that doesn't um, just feel uh, siloed, um, like we're just sort of showing up and, and doing business without making any relationships. Um, yeah. so so, anyway. uh, was that new for you guys? Was this a kind of an evolved uh, um, climate aspect of yours? Because who was the gal that I met? I loved her. Um, uh, Emily, right? Emily. So she was um, had set up. It wasn't. Room. It wasn't really new because so we we built a a space on Seventeenth in Alberta in two thousand nine um, that. We went through the same process of development. We were re, it wasn't a new, wasn't new construction, but it was re-having uh, an existing space. And we had sort of gone through that process before, sort of like this, you know, company moving into what had previously been a church and a theater and a historic sort of landmark space for. Um, decades and so we had already kind of gone through something similar i guess um, um previously which at the time that went really well you know for us in terms of integrating into that neighborhood making relationships with all the businesses around us with a lot of the um mostly the business owners in that in that area so we had kind of gone through that for a couple of different times well i liked uh, so um so all right, so you move in, you're in this space, you, you take it upon yourself to kind of learn more about it, which is, you know, that it was like one of the hot spots where things were jumping for the black community back in the day, right? Yep. And um, so now you're occupied and you're on the second floor, right? And so the access to the second floor is by a secured ground floor, right? So right. how did you, how did you emerge from that sort of, you know, what's up there, you know, to, to much of the community, like, yeah. Right? And how did you, um, your, how did you come down and in? Yeah, we, we made a point to, to reach out to businesses and, and organizations that were nearby. We made a relationship with the church right next door, right away. Um, we made a deal with them to, pay them for parking spots when they're not using them and for them to use our parking spots when on the weekends uh, when they have uh, when they had churchgoers. Um, at the time Kairos, uh, the school was just getting started and they were actually in, they were operating out of that church next door. And so we made a, a relationship with uh, Callie Ladd and, and the other women who are running Kairos. Um, and we were trying to um, work something out where we could maybe integrate into uh, with uh, childcare with them, um, which didn't end up working out, but then they ended up moving up on Vancouver and uh, we kind of just stuck with them as partners and, and uh, um, 
you know, supporters of what they've been doing as they've grown and uh, took on a new space and expanded. And um, that was a really key, like, initial relationship with us to, to you know, create with, uh, you know, local black female-owned uh, organization uh, with really strong leadership and a really hard problem that they're trying to solve. Um, so we've just been trying to support them ever since. We also let them use our space a lot. You know, they have more board meetings and, and meetings and things like that in our space. Um, we reached out to the schools nearby. We did a lot of programming um, with uh, some of the schools, high schools in particular. Um, Benson High School has been a, a school that we've worked a lot with. Um, we ended up working with Open Signal which is another local um, community-oriented uh, program that you all know about. Um, invited them to come and use our space. We invited them to um, some of their students to come and work with some of our staff and kind of get inspired. We, uh, we you know, uh, had a bunch of uh, a series of workshops and things like that with them. So we, we really just try to figure out how can we offer, what can we offer uh, aside from friendship and, and uh, you know, being good neighbors, like what can we actually offer? And it came down to, we can offer our space for events. We can offer our space for meetings and things like that. We can also offer guidance for students and, and any kind of um, youth oriented projects. Um, and you know things like pitch black was a really good uh, uh opportunity for us to just all we have to do is open the space up to 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 these folks and make can really leverage that and uh you know so we've just been trying to mostly do those types of things where we can um you know figure out what what we can offer to the neighborhood so um and you both can answer this next question then so I can see how, you know, the space and the place and, and some of the resources you guys have been um, um, putting out into the community have helped the community. What are you, what do you get from it? What's the benefit back to you? You want to start? Um, you want to start? You start. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I really just feel a sense of responsibility to have a relationship with the community and the neighborhood. I feel like aside from the personal friendships and relationships that I've made with individuals like you all, um, which I get a lot out of, um, also just, um, I guess, just really feeling like you're connected to the community. You're not just commuting in, doing your work and getting out, but you understand the impact that you're having and you can, you know, benefit, uh, you know, whether it's a school or, you know, a local organization, if we can provide some benefit, you know, it's gratifying to know that, you know, we've built something that can offer uh, resources for those, you know, around, around us. Jessica, what are you getting? Yeah, I'll add to that. I mean, I, th I think for me and for what, for what I've sort of experienced and then what I've seen um, in the eight or nine months that I've been here, um, you know, there's that saying of 
you know, too much is given, you know, too much is given, much is expected. And uh, we talked a lot, we started off this sort of our chit chat, what it was just you and I found talking about the privilege, right, that we have of still having security in our jobs and being able to work from home um, and feed our family and, and take care of our, our children and our loved ones. And that's a privilege but also to JD's point, that's a responsibility to give back. And so, you know, I think it's just part of, you know, it, it's in the DNA of instrument to share the wealth, if you will, and wealth comes in numerous ways, not just financial, share that wealth with others. And an important part of that, and what we talked about with Soul District, right, is how do you share that wealth and, and build a foundation within the community because we're lifting everyone up. Um, and so that's something that I've seen us get that, um, uh, you know, uh, whether it's sort of satisfaction or just um, a bit of also just humbleness, right, of, you know, um, of, of, you know, we're here to also be served and to be servant leaders in the community. And the other piece, I think, is education. Um, it's, it's been educating. One of the things, you know, bringing in, obviously, not just opening up the space, but bringing in guest artists, bringing in local guest speakers, um, educating our uh, population. I mean, we are an uh, organization in Portland, right, uh, like any other. And, you know, part of that is just helping to expand minds and horizons. And we've done a lot of that, which uh, makes us better people. Uh, which makes us better coworkers, which makes the work that we do with clients. And this is something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily connect is the more well-rounded well and diverse your workforce is, your people are, um, and their mindsets are, the better the work that we create for our clients. Our clients are always trying to make that connection between their business products and services and their customers. And the better we are as human beings and bringing that to the work that we do, the better the work and the connections that we build from our clients to our customers. So I think that's something that we're, we've absolutely seen and what I've seen personally um, in the last several months. That makes total sense. That makes total yeah. sense. I, I was going to add something too, but I think Jessica basically just said it is like me as a, as a business owner and an employer of, you know, a couple hundred people, we don't know how well educated they are on the neighborhood history or on you know the community some of them are commuting in from outside a lot of them actually live in the neighborhood but um so i think uh, that sense of responsibility also extends to them too like i feel like i want them to know um about the history of the neighborhood and and to know um, more, be more connected um, and have a relationship to the neighborhood as well. So that's something that we've worked to model and then also to sort of communicate to people as um, something that we want people to do. So I would say that, you know, especially in, um, you know, neighborhoods around minority communities, that a lot of tech firms definitely have that climate and culture inside their environment, right? Mm -hmm. But the extension of it outside isn't always mm -hmm. as prevalent or as, as demonstrated. Mm -hmm. So we definitely appreciated it over the Seoul District when you know we brought the Green Lighting Black Lives Matter Youth Media Project and connected and 
between Emily and you, JD, and a number of your staff, they were like, yeah, came and made it a welcoming environment. And then we involved it. So why did you guys decide to stay in it? Why did you decide to get involved in the, when we brought you the Soul District brand rollout? I know um, we had kind of seeded that a little bit, but why, why did you decide to get involved on the level you did? I think that when I reached out to you at some point, it was sort of like, hello, can I help you somehow? <laughs> it was really that broad. And, you know, um, I, I think that I truly just knew sort of what, about what you all were doing uh, a little bit. But once I dug into it a little bit further, I, I was really intrigued and just compelled to want to be involved. Um, and then once I got involved and once you sort of put a couple of small things on the table, I rallied other people. Um, and that's when I think it became a little bit more of a, a bigger project because, you know, when I, when I asked for a raise of hands of who wants to be involved with, you know, volunteering, uh, to help a local um, organization that is trying to lift up underrepresented uh, communities in our neighborhood, like a lot of hands go up. And so if I can provide a way for that to connect with them, um, then, you know, I'm going to do that. So I, I think that was sort of like, that was the impetus for that. Um, I think when we first moved in, this is something I was going to say to you earlier. When we first moved, I think the first two years we were in that space, we did volunteer work for like 20 different organizations. And Emily was organizing that. So um, a very wide range of different types of organizations. We were planning and coordinating and getting, you know, setting people up with opportunities. And it was a lot of work for us to do that but it was something that Emily was passionate about, we were passionate about. And then over the years, we've kind of like streamlined and figured out like, how can we have more greater impact through less uh, organizations and sort of be a little bit more focused. So we really narrowed it down to um, few organizations where we feel like we can have the most immediate um, and local impact. And we totally made the cut. You made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> thank you um, i think john you can put yourself on the back i think he was a little intimidated by you so no I'm just well <laughs> i mean if you want to ask me personally why did i want to get involved like when i did meet john um there was something about that first meeting that drew me in way more. You know, I think I initiated that meeting, like, hey, can I just meet somebody and help somehow? <laughs> and then when we actually talked, um, I really uh, was drawn to, you know, the passion, the conviction, the amount of experience, the amount of knowledge, and the optimism from John that just blew me away. And it felt like there was a, you know, it, it gave me more reason to want to engage. And he also had a sense of uh, openness uh, and, like I said, optimism about working with 
basically anyone who is down for the cause. <laughs> I think the message I got was, I'll work with anyone who's down for the cause and who wants to um, help me on this journey. Um, I also got a sense that you were sort of um, moving forward. And that seems to be your MO is that you were, you were moving, you were, had a reverence and a clear awareness of the past, but you were moving forward. Um, and that felt like an invitation uh, for us to step in and be involved and to be welcome in, uh, you know, some part of your journey. So. That was good. What'd you say? He said to Fawn pay you for that speech. That was great. Yeah, yeah. She's actually wrote that. She said she's texting it to me on the side, and I'm just saying. That was good. Oh, no, no, but I, I just I just to respond to that. Thank you, man. Uh, I've been a lot of times kind of hard to hear, you know, good feedback from people, man. And but you know, one of the things that I that I find that somehow or another you must have been keeping up with your industry because the start of your industry got off to a real rocky start not just your business but the technology industry in general you know mm -hmm. it got off you know it was the young middle-aged not even young i mean middle-aged young white boy that, that took it took the train out the, out the gate in the beginning and there was so much mitigating stuff that went on with that i mean that set precedence in a lot of the the gentrification and all of that stuff that we're seeing today, the technology train was the one that was the catalyst to a lot of this mm. you know, for the young white male. Mm. And so, but one of the things that we stepped back and we constantly kept saying is somebody got to pull that train back or hold it at, a, at the next gate, okay? Because, and you think I make light of this industry as humorous, but it is humorous because it seems like that because and this is very symbolic of how we as a society works. We go, okay, the young white cat figures out, comes up with a thought and an idea, innovation, whatever that is, and takes it off the gate and, and runs into millions of dollars and does all of the things that they do, create their thing. But somewhere along the line on that route, so one thing I always admired about my buddies, my frat buddies, that all that guy, some of the white friends that I got, they'll go, they'll start drinking that beer and they'll go, whoa, and all that stuff and start pouring it out of their head. But then at some point, they'll go, hey, man, where are all the chicks? <laughs> you know, it's like, what happened? Why are we partying with each other? So they brought the train back, pick up women, right? And not necessarily in a negative way. I paint this scenario because I think it's a humorous you know, but humor is reality to watch how it worked. It came and they said, oh, we don't have no women on this train. You know, we, we, what are we, partying amongst us guys? Nah, we so they came back and they got women as a part of the integration and adjustment. And then at some point in time, they began to recognize that this thing was, at some point in time, it almost looked like it was going to get shut down because it was a 50-50 margin that our society was ready to buy into it and I'm dating myself, by the way, you know, I remember, I remember all this stuff, that society wasn't necessarily ready for technology in the sense that there was a lot of pushback in that margin, you know, and it's in its very first seven to 10 years of it coming on deck and beginning to get, so our society necessarily wasn't buying into it, but then it started looking at some adjustments and it started recognizing that in order for it to be a full-blown industry that really, not only Silicon Valley and other places, but it had to start looking at integration. 
and how it began to bring other people into the technology part mm -hmm. of the society begin to elevate. I said all of that to say this about you, is that somehow or another, the totality of all of that stuff returned itself in your organization is an example of what that should have looked like going out of the gate. Mm. But today, what it looks like today is really the integration reality of how that thing is supposed to look. You mm. got a staff, you got a representation of the of the meld that needs to happen in order because you can't have a great society leaving a portion of it behind. Mm. It's not, not a reality for that. And mm. so my respect, and I say this, and I'll continue to say this, you young white guys or to some degree is really the, the link to the transformation of our society moving in a healthy way that is away from this kind of shit that we're into right now, is that somehow or another, we gotta come together on, a, on an understanding that our community, our society, our country, relies upon our ability to take this shit and integrate all of this stuff to move us to a higher order, a better place. Because the shit that we're experiencing right now, the kind of hurt, the, the, the bringing it back, this virus is making us, giving us a reminder of what really we live and exist in. And it is disheartening. You know, man, and, and for me, I, 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 I just don't, man, I'm a hunter. I'm a warrior. I'm all of these things. And to not have a battle to go to that I can see to fight, mm -hmm than what we envision or the possibilities of whatever. All of this shit drives me insane, man. I, I get up and I go walk in the mountains. I go do all of that kind of stuff. But, by, but the bottom line is I'm watching how we're getting hurt, how we are getting dismantled. Mm -hmm. um, so then what did you say as a father, as a man in your society, as a contributing ethical aspect? And I mean, so we're in this vein. So how do we begin to use this technology to tighten it up? to bring it together. And so that's why when we're talking today with, with in this kind of conversation, when Fawn originally told me what she was trying to figure out is to how do we bring technology in this time that we're in now, and the es essence of the transformation, it's the essence of it right now. We're, we're able to see, I told my daughter, in spite of the pain that I felt in her and that I felt for her, that we're at the precipice of something very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Change is coming as much as we want to resist it. And, but my model is, is that when you can see it coming, and I tell my, everybody this about death, about life, any of that shit, if I see it, death coming, I'm going to cheat your ass. Understand me? So the bottom line is, we see some shit coming, so how do we get out in front of it yeah. and begin to somehow or another navigate our way in it and to begin to do this shit the right way, finally. Yeah. And we protect, number one, the sanctuary of our existence, the thing that we require of each other. And, and I don't want to get too lengthy in my words and then preaching and all that shit, but all I know is black women raised this country. It raised black kids and it raised white kids. And we all got one thing in common, is that we got a centralized mother, Mother Earth, and that is our primary reason of what we have to protect today and the people that exist on it. So I'm hoping that somehow or another, stay out in front of this phenomenon, we stop leaving the old mind on the porch because like I said, at some point in time, hopefully that that virus ain't shutting down our ability to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, 
Because if it is, then we're going to need them old people. We can't let them all die because they know some shit that most of the young people don't know. You know, how to communicate, how to build a society, all them things, how to plant food, you know, all this stuff. So anyway, without the without sake of preaching, I'm just saying how it's much respect to you, fun, whatever, however we got to get out in front of this by using technology to do it, whatever it is, I'm game. You've got my both feet in this game right now because it's been made real clear to me that a society in which we exist in, it ain't something that Flawson has been doing this shit for the last 15 years, trying to bring about the best in the black community that it could possibly bring forward. And staying in front of that initial mindset that says, look, we gotta up our game. We gotta take our game to a higher place and to a much more healthier place. So when I see old families dying in Georgia, that was enough for me to trigger me in such a way to where I got real quiet. But let me tell y'all something. When I get quiet, I'm looking for an opening, y'all. And most of the time, I'm existing inside the 20. My, my nature is all, man, when I get inside that space inside the 20, neither you gonna score or you ain't. And nine times out of 10, you ain't gonna score on me. You understand? I'm gonna shut your ass down and come around this side. So I'm in that space of, 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 of ovulate or, or opening up the next dimension. And I believe technology, I believe you young white cats and you young sisters, y'all all are part of that equation that should be able to take this thing from a youthful reality to the next bit. Cause it's wide open for y'all. We ain't gotta carry that shit forward no more. Cause at this point in time, we already know the truth. Everybody else knows the damn truth. The virus exposed all of that shit for those that were in denial. I'm not in denial. So anyway, I take that and I drink some more tea and I keep you know, sitting here pondering because sooner or later they're gonna let me out of this house. And the Lord knows. I 100% agree with you about technology getting off on the wrong foot and leaving some people behind along the way. Yeah. You know, it's well documented now and everyone is starting to wake up to the fact that women and minorities were left out or pushed out of uh, the fast moving rocket ship of Silicon Valley and uh, the innovation world. Yeah. Um, but and we're in the business of innovation, but we know that the most innovative ideas are not gonna happen from you know, a bunch of uh, the same people from the same place with the same mindset. It's going to come from, uh, you know, a melting pot of ideas that are coming from all different uh, backgrounds, points of view, mindset, experience, etc. So, um, I think the industry, I think the world has an awareness of that now. We've made that step. Um, and I think the big corporations are starting to show up and make decisions and kind of be held accountable to becoming more inclusive and to representing uh, in, a, in a way that, uh, you know, having a staff and a workforce that represents what, you know, the general population, uh, looks like 
And, you know, I think that we've been, we have been vocal advocates of uh, trying to cultivate uh, diverse points of view just so that we can be innovative um, because it feels like that is a, that's a responsibility of ours, but it's also a way to do a, our job better, just straight up. Um, and I feel, you know, like the TED talk that I did last year was really all about this. And it was really all about becoming aware, becoming educated, understanding the things, uh, the, the blind spots that we've had in the past, and then educating others and building platforms and systems for people to, uh, for, for our industry uh, to embrace uh, knowledge from all over the place, not just sort of hiring the same person over and over and over, um, but to bring in multiple points of view. And then to try to, you know, our, our mission is really to try to shape a better way of living using technology. We feel like the best businesses are profitable because they solve problems that shape a better way of living for everyone. Mm. And, you know, when businesses are only out to benefit the 1% or benefit themselves and their shareholders, then they're missing the boat. And it's a short term thinking and it's not going to last. So we really want, we've been vocal about this. I mean, when we do our sales pitch, we tell our clients, we're looking for clients who are going to make positive contributions to society that are going to solve problems that shape a better way of living. That's the kind of work we want to do. Fortunately, we can be in a, we're in a place where we can be selective and picky with who we work with. And so that's kind of like our, our North star. It's our number one job is to pick clients that we believe in and go on the journey with them. And then hopefully we can be more educated than them even on the subject matter so that when we identify something that seems questionable or when we identify an opportunity for them to be more inclusive or to think about more points of view or to you know, think about how their product or their service is gonna impact all types of people, then we interject that point of view and we're really direct and honest with them. We're not just telling them what they want here. Um, so it's, it's really deeply baked into not just the culture outside of our job, but actually in the work that we're doing. Like that's really a part of our mission and a part of our, um, our sales pitch even. Um, so it, it really goes that deep. It's about driving impact, um, and, and really trying to shape a better way of living for people. Um, when we feel, we feel like when we have a positive impact on the lives of people and the well-being of people, that's, that motivates our employees. Um, and it, it creates businesses that are profitable in the end. So um, that's kind of what we're focusing so, so, on. So let me ask you guys this, is that what do you see, what do you see our next, next push or our next how does the what does the products look like that uh, the future of where technology is going in light of the condition in which mm -hmm. has been thrust forward where you guys see the next direction in taking this how do we build upon this these 
this technology reality in terms of now, um, because now we have a fragmentation, a void, okay? And, and that void has put us all in our perspective camps. It used to be a time perhaps when we had enough opportunity to, to interact and to touch, feel, and experience and those types of things. So now that we're at this, okay, everybody go to their perspective corners, where technology to some degree was trying to deal with the, my perception at that time of the possibility of technology creating an isolation. People being in silos, being able to isolate, to isolate these kinds of things. So how do we see where this is going? I mean, in your field, what is it that in the and how do you begin to use you uh, use technology as a way to begin to can not necessarily separate people. I mean, we have to go to our perspective corners for a second and isolate. How does the technology begin to do exactly opposite of what it was intended to do or what it, it, appeared, it appeared what its intention was doing and that was isolating us, siloing us. But how is technology going to do the opposite at this point? John, where do you guys see the opening? Man, I'll let Jessica answer, but my quick answer is, you know, I feel like instead of technology, uh, you know, technology is supposed to be this thing that makes our lives better and makes things more convenient. But, uh, you know, a lot of people historically have been focused on organizing your family photos or making it easier to get to the, you know, uh, San Francisco Giants game because they're thinking about the things that it's right in front of them. Um, but I think when we actually use technology and we really think about who really needs it, not just how can it make my life a little bit more convenient, but how can we actually change lives for, for people? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's when, that's the next step. You know, like someone like uh, Tyrone Poole, I don't know if you know Tyrone, he's from Portland. He spoke at TED, TED, uh, TEDx Portland, uh, I think two years ago. Is he, Energy, he started, Trust, Energy Trust of Oregon? Is that him? Uh, he started a, a, an app called noappfee.com uh, and it, it's really uh, disrupted uh, the housing market. It is basically allowing a way for, for homeless folks to find a place to live and to jump through all the bureaucratic red tape that was in the way that was making that really, really difficult. That first step of transitioning from homeless uh, to having an apartment. Um, and he was homeless himself at one point. Um, and, you know, he created this incredible platform, bootstrapped on his own, uh, and, you know, allowing people at every income level, you know, to, who are seeking uh, an apartment to find one. And it seems so simple. It seems like something that the city or the federal government could have figured out, <clears throat> but it actually wasn't because it's not a priority. And so I think, you know, when he got in and figured out how to make some software to do this, He's really savvy. He's really smart with marketing. It turns out he's a genius and he was able to do this. So I think that's like a great example of someone and an, and 
an opportunity, and there are thousands of these out there where people really need technology. It's not just that it can make, you know, someone who's already privileged and already, you know, I could go to Whole Foods and get my groceries, but now I can order them and I don't even have to go there. Oh, great. But maybe I should just go there <laughs> and like <laughs> save the technology for someone who actually needs it. Yeah, exactly. I could use the walk, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that that's my that's my uh, first yeah. thought about that. Um, I guess from my perspective, I'll probably maybe go bigger. Some of the things I've been thinking about um, just in our industry and then just watching everything, like the millions of people out of work more than ever, ever, like in history ever, right? Um, and companies folding and going on their asking for bailouts and all that kind of stuff. I mean, what, I, what I'm sort of seeing or I think is gonna happen, I think one, um, to your point, um, John, I think there's going to be more integration and coordination. Everything feels, we know everything's been siloed because everything's been driven by money. I've got my little piece over here. I'm going to own my own little piece. I don't need to talk to anybody else. I don't need to coordinate with anything. Um, and we're finding that that is just failing us completely. So I think with the crash of the market, we're going to see a lot more consolidation. Um, and it's going to be like different services and things that make sense to us as like regular people and like why it doesn't this work together i think we're going to see a lot of more things work for the smart ones the people who are smart um either with their heads or with their wallets we'll see a lot more um integration and coordination and and it, it, like everything being connected i think we're going to be a lot more of like we see these futuristic videos of talk to your watch that talks to your computer that talks to your phone that talk we're going to see more technologies and software that's going to democratize where people are going to be able to connect on platforms and that stuff's just going to be open source like apple can't just own it google can't just own it and i really think that um like our lives this this to this is i've used the word before like tectonic shift like there is this is going to be one of the singular most events in in you know this probably maybe even this century we don't know what's coming at least for right now to this day one of the singular events that leapfrog everybody it's not and and everybody and yes there's still people getting left behind the homeless um undocumented workers but it, it is leapfrogging everything in terms of how we literally see the world and how we interact um and what i think that will ultimately do is maybe not right now, but at some point technology is going to get cheaper. Um, I, I just believe that things are gonna just get cheaper. We saw it happen with cell phones. Yes, everybody's paying a thousand dollars for the iPhone, but I can now go get a, a phone from Walmart for $20 and pay five bucks a month, right? So you've seen in the span of really only 20 years. I mean, I had a, a Nokia back in high school and college and you know, all you could do is dial. We didn't even have voicemail back then. You just dialed, right? And look at where we are today where we have computers in our phones, but also 
even the most disadvantaged of us, um, you know, God willing, they can scrape something together to get themselves a phone. It might not do much, but it's still there. Um, if you look at the proliferation of laptops and tablets, where it used to be you only bought this desktop with this big thing, and that was $3,000, and you were on payment plans for forever, and now we have Google, my, my son has a Google Chromebook, it was 150 bucks, right? Um, and it does what he needs to do. Um, I see technology getting cheaper, and more underprivileged people being able to leverage that cheaper technology to have more impact and have a bigger voice and have a more say. That was a lot. But. Well, Jessica, also, could you answer why you, when JD kind of put out the call for raise the hands, why you said yes? Yeah, um, I think my hand is kind of like permanently raised for things. Um, <laughs> My husband, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were like, I was like, yeah, I raised my hand. They were like, but don't you always raise your hand? Um, I, wherever I go, uh, whether it's the organization or a new city, I am all about how, and I think JD said this before, like, I am all about leaving where I am and where I'm planted better than when I came, right? Hey, Whatever that hey, means. Hey, um and whether that's empowering the people, whether that's improving the work, right, business, so it's not just all about the touchy-feely. I'm trying to make instrument a stronger business as well. Um, and then part of that is how we're impacting the community. And so when JD, um, when I started, whenever, whenever this came out in the fall and JD was like, hey, looking for people, I literally sent him a message, was like, I'm all in, let me know how I can help. Um, and one, one of the things that was really compelling for me, and JD said this, was, you know, you are one organization that is literally infused in supporting multiple organizations in the community. And that also becomes a really, that has a lot more impact. The one-on-one, -on -one I think, is still really important in certain instances, but the fact that you guys are are um, really part of the foundation of the community where we where we work um, and where a lot of us live um, I think was really there was something powerful about that in the story of the soul district so that's why I said yes. so let's transition a little bit to the story of the soul district because uh, we kind of laid it down but it was a story that was told to us too like we weren't the creators of the story we were we were the um, you know, we were also the the readers, the listeners. We were told the stories too, and and brought it forward. But we did see a community opportunity, a community challenge, a community need, so to speak, to bring this brand to the next level. And obviously, you guys do a lot of digital marketing and branding, and um, at a level, um, at just a whole nother level for you know the one percenter type companies, but. Um, this particular project, you know, helping us with the pitch deck, helping us shape the visual aspect of how that story would roll out was so helpful and impactful for us and it's ongoing. Um, can you speak to a little bit about um, why sometimes technology, you know, firms have a lot of skill and technology and and maybe why a company like yours said, yeah, I'm gonna use those skills and technology for the community. And has it been historically that tech companies really don't do that and they just stay focused on your on their clients? 
or are you seeing a trend in tech where maybe they are i mean you just said that you think that's where it's going both of you absolutely yeah but where it came from it seemed like between and john mentioned it earlier there were two subjects that seemed sort of elitist when they first came on deck one was the green movement like you know everybody likes clean air clean water clean all that kind of stuff but all of a sudden it became this issue and it seemed like it was an elitist perspective to recycle and and that kind of stuff and then technology came and maybe it was an elitist uh community in which yeah that's cool technology we'll never afford it we'll never get it etc but now i'm saying you're helping a community-based organization solve a community challenge or elevate because it's it's more about elevate a platform where the voice that had always existed mm. now gets the next level platform that it would need to compete with the other megaphones and deep pockets out there. Yeah. Is there a question in there or more just comments to the commentary I just said? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start this one since JD took the last one and then he can pop in. I mean, I think, so I will say, I think technology just as a whole, as we think about high tech, you know, the Googles, Facebooks, all of these, and they are also clients of ours, right? So big, these big clients, it, it has been an evolution of being sort of singularly focused on producing great products and just taking care of their people and being very focused right on money. And as they have evolved, um, they have, you know, they now, a lot of these tech companies have big foundations worth millions and hundreds of millions, billions of dollars, right? They're giving back to a lot of their communities. Um, I think the advantage that we have as instrument is that we are not this big conglomerate. So while money is extremely helpful and opens a lot of doors, right? For us, it is about uh, the knowledge and expertise that we have that we can leverage. Like that's our currency is the knowledge, the experience and the expertise. And the, the only way you can do that is by getting you know, in bed one-on-one, -on -one, like we are together and making that personal connection, right? And I think we, I at least believe we have a greater impact by sitting and it's what our what we do with our clients with this which is sit side by side with our clients to co-create the future that is what we're doing here and what we do with a lot of our other partners so to me that is a bigger impact i wish i had a million dollars to give you but we don't um but hopefully the uh brain space and knowledge and expertise that we're given can help you get that million dollars right um and also give you a foundation that will pay dividends in the future. And I think that's what's also important here for us as well. Right, and I think, and JD, you can jump in after this. So John and I were talking today about the, you know, sort of the end user, you know, like why we do what we do. It is, and it's same with you, it's not necessarily so the already entitled and the um, secure and foundational person can carry on although those relationships are important to have because you need to be influential there it was you know that young kid who's sitting in an apartment right now with three siblings all sharing a bedroom and struggling maybe to get you know that ten dollar a month internet you know access in the chromebook you know that was dropped off by a school to stay motivated and it's like why is the conversations we're having and the work we're doing around the soul district business associations brand rollout and giving a district identity to the black community mm -hmm. from a touchstone perspective um 
what's he, what's that kid in that room going to feel capable, significant and influential mm -hmm. about when he's invited into this dialogue somehow or invited into the imagery that we're, we're creating. I think that, uh, like Jessica said, we just like what we do with our clients, we work side by side with them to try to amplify, enhance, bring to life their ideas and their, um, usually it's their vision, it's their idea. And they, we sort of, uh, you know, connect ourselves with that, connect with them and sort of provide, uh, become like an extension of them to amplify their voice, their vision. And I think it's the same with you all. You all have the ideas. You all have the mission, the purpose, the vision. And we saw those ingredients there and we felt we could amplify that. We could help to um, connect with your audience, to make it resonate more deeply, more profoundly, just with some editing and some tweaks of language and imagery and the juxtaposition and the, how we're structuring the narrative together um, to have the greatest impact. Um, so we're really just trying to, uh, you know, elevate your voice uh, for the greatest impact possible with your audience. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna just and even build off of that to the point about the young person, right? I think it is also to to bring shine a light on uh, you know how amazing the Soul District is, um, and to shine a light on businesses. Well, probably pre-COVID, God willing, um, you know uh, how business worth are thriving, and that the Soul District is an amazing place to live and work, right? And to um, you know, to, to, to what JD was saying about John's point about moving forward, um, being excited about the future of what's to come for Seoul District and um, feeling as if they are part of that future for Seoul District as well, right? Yeah, I definitely, I, I think that's a really good point. I mean, I know for me personally, I didn't come from money. I didn't come from a position where it was inevitable that I would be some kind of successful entrepreneur at all. You know, I worked 12 jobs before I ever got a, a real job or some kind of job that was going to, um, I could actually make a living out of. Um, I didn't see that happening when I was, uh, when I was young. Um, I have lived in Portland for almost 20 years on the east side. My imagination is really huge uh, in terms of um, the opportunity that I see for other people to rise up and do something great. Maybe only, if only because, you know, I was able to do something with, you know, what I was given and, uh, and you know, if you look at me as a teenager, uh, it was not a foregone conclusion that I would be some kind of <laughs> successful entrepreneur by any stretch of the imagination. <clears throat> um, so I was lucky that they let me leave the state of Kansas uh, on parole when I moved to Wisconsin when I was 17. So, oh. 
getting in uh, trouble there, Janie, just a little bit. I'm just being real. Like, there was, I got out. I got out of the situation I was in, but I'm, I'm, I'm being real, though. I, I definitely was not, uh, you know, I, I guess my point is not about me, but it's really about how my imagination is really mm. big for how I can see opportunity for other people. Mm. And I can see someone, you know, like Tyrone is a perfect example. His story is incredible. And talking about literally going from being homeless mm. to creating a successful technology startup that helps all these, um, helps so many people, uh, you know, it's stories like that, I think, that people need to hear. And I think that you're, you all are sort of, you know, looking for those people and saying, hey, we're here to support you. We're here to lift up your voice and give you an opportunity. And, you know, I, is, the more I can help to sort of elevate that platform and, and enhance uh, get that story out, get those messages out, the better. So that's why I'm involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just amazed at these types of pieces that we do. They've, they've always tapped my heart, you know. And, I, and perhaps for me, I don't know what it is about a feeling. Uh, feelings are new to me uh, these days. I mean, as an older guy, I, you know, I was a soldier, warrior, all that kind of stuff, and feelings are different, but. I've come to realize that you have to have compassion. Something, you know, there's a stencil that we use in Flossen and it, it, it talks about how a person arrives and then they go into the gauntlet of their lives. They get into the agitation. The hopper is what I call it. They go through this life experience thing. They just jump in, just gets all screwed up, it's shaking up and all that kind of shit. And then something spits you out the other end. You either got a, a jail ID or you got a college degree or you make it to the league or you do this or you, something spits you out, you arrive. And then through that gauntlet, you have refined enough to arrive to a place. And in that place, you know, you have to know one thing and you can't keep it if you don't give it away. And these are some of the magical keys that people don't get necessarily. Uh, and for me, there was a lot of obstacles in that place because I always thought kindness was a weakness. I always thought compassion was a sign of weakness um, and those types of things. And, but yet when I saw it in my father that way, I resented it, but yet I didn't know his whole story. Mm. I didn't know his story. I didn't know he was a POW until he was on his deathbed for six months in a Korean war camp where he never took his boots off for, for four months. And they actually became an integral part of his feet. So when he came home, he made it home. He was a wounded POW, he made it home. And he seemed like he was nice to everybody. And he was a happy drunk. And I would see people take advantage of him and all of that. And in my book, I kept seeing my father as weak. But here to tell you that if I was in a POW camp for four months, I don't think I would have made it home, mm. you know, because I'm not the type. But he was strong enough to make it home because that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to come back home. Strength like that is a substance that you can't bottle. You can't bottle that kind of strength. But the challenges that sometimes world, the world puts us in as a people, as a vessel, as a character, is there's something in that individual that creates that rise. 
I call it resurrection. The interpretation of understanding of what that portion of that meant was the simple stencil that I just told you about. This Jesus character went through all of this agitation only to die on a cross to resurrect, which to me only means one thing, y'all, stand up. Stand up, damn it. And you stand up in the fact of the symbolism of my father keeping his boots on that whole time meant that he never gave up hope that there may be an opening somewhere that he can run. And to be caught one night without his boots on, that boot to, to, for that opening to come, for him to be bootless, he probably would have never, never made it with bad feet because he came home with bad feet, but he would have never made it. So the point that I'm saying is that the cream or the vessel or the character in, the, in man is like the diamond. It's placed under pressure and some of us stay down and other ones of us rise up. Hmm. Well said. It's a powerful lesson. John preaching. <laughs> well, um, thank you for that, John. But, but then my consciousness comes to bear. <laughs> and there she is. And <laughs> she I love it. I'm listening. I'm, I'm absorbing. I'm taking it. But she falls. I tell you, she'll she'll say, "Okay, but John, let's get back to the work." Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Uh, well, and I do have five minutes. I have a two thirty, so I do okay. have a two thirty. So I think you know we're. I have what I need in terms of the story, and we're you know just the conversation around you know how technology firms are helping community-based organizations solve uh, problems. I'm not sure that that's running rampant in your guys' mm -hmm. industry right now. But I think as an example of what we've been able to do together, and we very appreciate what you guys have done, and we very appreciate your perspective on why you've done it and shared with us today. I think um, us even being able to share that message with others is also another powerful move, because if we just keep it that story amongst ourselves, mm -hmm. then yeah, we benefit, but you know, how are we inspiring others to follow suit, right? Because we're always blazing the trail. So I'm hoping that this story can be, you know, the beginning of more technology firms, you know, getting on this train. And, and as you guys both said, you know, make this big world a little bit more connected yeah. in healthy ways. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, all of what she said, folks. I, you know, hey, Hodge, sister, Jessica, hey man, much love and much respect to y'all. You know, um, oh, thank you. there's no doubt in my mind that the real soldiers are going to stand up. And I, I hear T.D. Jake say this on, on, on Easter. T.D. say, at the end of what he said, he say, what say ye? What say you? And the invitation, the invitation to this greatness or this opportunity in life is upon you. The invitation is at your doorstep. It's in your mailbox. What say ye? You know, what say ye? I. That's your contribution. So I think we're supposed to say I. Say I. Yay. Are What's you on board? I. <laughs> I got this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, y'all. Thank Love. you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Y'all stay safe out there, okay? Yeah, yeah you too. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Bye, Jeff. Bye, Fine. Bye.